Hello to all of our fundamentalists. Welcome back to another episode of your favorite brown babes breaking down taboos and dissecting Desi culture across the diaspora. I'm Faiza. And I'm Mehak. And we're super, super excited to you to bring this episode to you guys. We're speaking with Kitupanu, a sixth southerner in the Big Apple, who is dedicated to making the world a better place. Um, and we're talking to Kitu about what it's like um, being out and proud as a gay Desi man. Um, so Kitu, we'd love to just let you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, so um, my name is Kitupanu. Nice to meet y'all. Um, originally, I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, I moved up to New York for grad school. Um, it's probably one of the best decisions I made in my life. And yeah, New York has been home ever since. And um, in terms of my queer journey, you know, there's just, I'm so grateful uh, to have taken the chances that I have and um, to be, you know, able to say, like out and proud that I am a gay person and that um, I don't have to worry about, um, you know, not getting the love from my social circle as a result. Um, in terms of what I do in New York, um, I came up here for public health and I've been working in public health and in communications and PR ever since. That's awesome. Thank you so much for that intro. Um, so, I mean, I know we talked about this before, but, uh, you know, Mehek and I are both cis, straight, brown women. Um, so we're coming into this kind of, uh, you know, with you taking our cues from you. Um, okay. and, and the reason we wanted to have this conversation was because this is definitely, though there have been strides made in um acceptance of the LGBTQI community, uh, especially people who are practicing in their religion, there's still a lot of stigma, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of just misinformation um, around what it's like being queer uh, and brown. Um, and so we wanted to kind of start the conversation um, and and learn with our followers and our listeners about what this, what this means and what it looks like and... Um, just shed a little bit of light on this on this because there are a lot of people struggling and a lot of people who could benefit I think just from just from learning about it um so uh I'd love to know from your perspective when did you know you were gay and what did it when did you know that there was something I don't want to say different because it's not like you're different but like when what was the like frame of reference for you when you realized that you're like there's something special here yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, personally, I'm not, um, I don't take offense to like being different or anything. I actually celebrate my differences. Um, so I appreciate you, um, you know, saying that and framing it that way. So for me, I think, you know, I realized that I was gay. This is going to sound so cheesy and so stupid. Um, but okay. Y'all seen DDLJ? Of okay, course. Perfect. Yes. Of course. Good. So <laughs> Um, I just, do y'all remember that iconic scene? Um, it's Gajal, she's, uh, she walks into the field, like it's in the middle of the morning. I recently rewatched this during the pandemic, so I'm like actually pretty well versed in like what scene it is now. Um, but she's like walking through the fields and she hears the, I guess, ukulele or whatever the heck he's playing um, in the background. And she's like, where's the song coming from? And then all of a sudden you see her like running into his arms. Like he pops out of nowhere. Shah Rukh Khan's just like 
arms splayed out, you know, the hat tilted to the side, that whole nonsense. Um, and you see her running toward him. And I just remember, I was probably four or five when it came out. And I just remember thinking like, oh, like I wanna be her running toward him. Like I wanna run toward my man. And like, it was funny because, you know, I was talking with my brother at the time about it. And like, oh yeah, like I love that scene. And we would watch that movie all the time. And to me, it just never really seemed like it was abnormal or anything of that nature or different per se to um, picture myself running toward him, running toward Shah Rukh Khan. And um, I think that was kind of like the awakening for me, like, oh yeah, like there's something a little bit different here, so. That's really interesting that you have such a vivid, clear memory of it still, not not only because DDLJ is such a profound movie for all of us, but it's really interesting that you have this clear memory. You mentioned that you spoke to your brother about it. Did you, is, is he older or younger? So I'm the youngest of four. Okay. Okay. So like, was, was the conversation in the context of these feelings about running toward a man? Basically what I'm getting at is like from such a young age, because you had this awareness, what was the response like from your family? <laughs> so like, I didn't officially come out to them, um, to my family until I was, um, I started coming out to people in general when I was like 20. Um, 20? Yeah, 20. And I, I'd come out to my brother first. Um, I kind of like, you know, giving him hints here and there. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm gay. He's like, maybe you're bi, but like, I don't think you're gay. And he's like, and I'm like, I, I think I'm gay. But you know, we had this conversation since I was 12, pretty much like going back and forth about it. Um, and he's like, oh, you know, like just try like, you know, kissing a girl, try doing something with someone. And then like, you can tell me after that, if you're still like, if you still feel like you're gay. And um, that was, always the conversation with my brother since I was 12. I literally, it was like clockwork once every like year, every two years. Hey, Naraj, I'm pretty sure I'm gay. No, you're not gay. Like you haven't done anything yet. And so um, like my brother and I, we had been um, pretty open about uh, that sort of discussion since I was like 12. Um, but I mean, to go back to what you originally asked, like during like the DDLJ moment when I like first realized I didn't really relate it to a um like I didn't really say like oh yeah I think I'm Gajal running towards Shah Rukh Khan or anything of that nature it was more like a oh like I can't like I want that scene to play out in life or I want that sort of romance that was kind of more what we hinted at so and I think it just goes to show like also the way in which love is romanticized from a young age um and like you don't really uh, children we don't really like sexualize these things in the same way that we would necessarily think of sexuality and sexualization occurs uh so with that in mind you know to me it was more like a the romanticism of it all that really helped me realize okay this is like the type of person that I'm looking for. And of course, you know, which, whatever like blockbuster Bollywood film came out, I was always like, oh no, like that's the archetype of like guy that I want to be with or some, 
BS of that nature. I'm, and but like also, I find it interesting because like um, you know, I don't know if y'all grew up watching like Govinda movies and stuff like that, and like those films are hilarious. But I find it funny that like those were never the films that I really enjoyed watching. And I think a lot of it also had to do with the type of writing that the male characters had to um, adhere to. Um, and that like the way in which male characters were written, like not respecting consent and things of that nature. Um, right, I yeah. never found that to be attractive. Um, like even, I just, I remember like being physically turned off by people when I saw them in those roles. I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think now that we look back at it, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? And we can see mm-hmm. that astounding lack of consent, that astounding like misogyny that's just kind of built into the script as being funny. Um, how many of, I know you were saying the comedies in particular, but even some of these blockbuster romance movies right how much of it was guy meets girl girl says no or girl's family says no guys like i don't give a shit i'm gonna stalk her and eventually she's gonna come around because that's hashtag romance and guess what she did but now we look at it from a lens of like normalcy and agency and that's not romance um, so you're you're absolutely right. But so, okay, I guess then let's back up a little bit. Can you walk us through, you said you had some sort of awareness from a very young age, right? As young as four or five or in, in, around that time, but you didn't officially. Come. In like 96, 97. I think so too, Faisa. I think you're wrong because I remember being in high school and I'm not going to age myself. Actually, I don't <laughs> age myself. I'm 36. 95? So I was in high school. No, I think it came out like 98, no, I just 99. It. I just Googled it. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, we have the internet, y'all. It's <laughs> 95. 95? Okay, cool. So, oh, my God. So now you age yourself, Gitu. It's only fair. <laughs> oh, no. I'm 30 years old. Like, 90, I'm oh, okay. a 90s bitch, like, through and through. Like, I yeah. get to sing I Thought a Pop song with no hesitation, and I love it. So, and thank you if you do get that reference because mm-hmm. I tried to make that reference with my niece and nephew, and they were like, Kitu Mama, you're like way too old. I can't do it. <laughs> so. Oh, and by the way, for people listening who don't know what, what we're talking about, DDLJ is which is like oh, the yeah. most iconic 90s movie in Bollywood cinema. It like changed the game. So, but I do want to talk a little bit about kind of your. Do you still do you still identify as sick? Um, yeah, for sure. And and what does that what does that mean for you? Because I think a lot of they see people there's a um, tends to be a um, you have your culture and then you have your religion. And oftentimes they're conflated, and so it's hard for people to like tease it apart. And so um, I think identity can get really confusing and scary to pick apart. So as somebody who identifies as gay and someone who identifies and still practices as sick, like what did that, What was there a moment in time where you had to reconcile the two or was it part of your identity and, and it, what, you didn't really question it? So it's funny that you asked that. Um, I... So like I knew that I was gay since I was like 
as I said earlier, since I was 12, essentially. And um, thinking about this now, I actually did start to pull away from um, the religion as a result. I think a lot of it wasn't necessarily the religion itself, but rather the people um, who practice the religion. And I think this is an issue that you tend to see a lot in general. Like religions don't necessarily purport um, hate by any means. I don't think there's any like major religion, especially that's like you have to hate these other people or you have to like treat other people badly. I, I'm pretty sure like all of the major religions are like on the same page of be good to other people, like be kind, you know, all that good stuff. And unfortunately, what I did see, um, my parents, both of them, um, like served on the board uh, for the Gurdwara in our city. And they're, you know, prominent members of the Sikh community. Um, so much so, like my mom, like she's one of the people when you talk about like Sikhs in the United States, like people mention her name. And it's, it's hilarious because like, I didn't realize just how well connected the Sikh community is until um, like several years ago when um, I was working at an organization um, that was affiliated with the religion. And um, yeah, so in that sense though, as I, like I pulled away from the religion itself because of how other people were um, positioning themselves in the community itself. And it wasn't until I actually went on a, um, this program called the No India Program in 2017. Um, I, it's with like the Indian consulate and everything and they choose uh, different uh, representatives from each country that uh, has Indian diaspora in it. And so I went as the representative from the US and I told them, like, if I'm going on this trip, I want to make it educational. It's not just going to be like, you know, me hopping over to like see Punjab and Haryana and just like hang out and like have a good time. Like, I want it to be where I'm meeting um, like with NGOs. I'm talking with ministers to like figure out like how we can um, how we can make India a better place for people of all different types. And um, as a result, you know, like I got the chance to meet with various ministers. I got the chance to um, talk with different NGOs. I got to see how people lived there. And while I was there though, we had the opportunity to go to a lot of the Gurdwaras I'd only heard of. Um, I hadn't been to India um, since, uh, since 2002. So it, this, trip allowed me to really like integrate myself into the community uh, it, um, that was over there and it renewed my um, it definitely renewed my faith um, but in a way that I was able to connect with the spirituality of it all and I say this with the intent of like the spirituality never really like ran away or anything. It was just that the rules, I just didn't know how to reconcile the rules and um, the community and how it's practiced um, with my faith. And so I think in 2017, when I went to India and I got to see how other people practice their faith outside of the US, um, it really helped me just like get a better understanding of, okay, I can practice Sikhism in my own way and still, 
feel like I'm being a good Sikh as long as I'm adhering to the main principles, as long as I'm um, being an ethical um, and value-based person. Um, and so with that understanding, that's kind of how I operate within the religion itself. That's a very convoluted answer. And I apologize. No, I think it's such a universal answer, though. I think there are a lot of people who still identify with their religion um, because of the spirituality aspect um, mm -hmm. and eschew the kind of dogma or doctrine because of the way it plays out in the community. I think for me, I and I grew up Muslim, I don't necessarily practice, but I still identify as Muslim, because I'm like, the basic tenets are, are still there. I'm still a good person. I still do charitable works. Uh, and, you know, I still celebrate Eid. And I, and I believe in the power of like, prayer. And, you know, for me, it's more like sending, you know, good vibes and things like that. And so for me, I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't I call myself Muslim? You know? Um, so I think, for, I think it's such a universal thing, what you just said is that, just because you don't fall into this very neat category of what a, a sick man should be doesn't mean that you're not that. Exactly. It's also such a profound journey, right? And it is a journey. It's an individual journey, whether you're queer or straight, whether you're practicing ritually or you're not practicing yeah. religion, whether you're Sikh, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, whatever it is, it's such an individual journey. And I think as humans, we look for that, community support and we kind of try to follow the crowd because it's the path of least resistance but ultimately your spirituality is your direct connection to god when nobody else is around and if it doesn't make sense if it doesn't sit right with you then that private connection is not going to exist so i love that you were able to find this space in which you still felt like you were doing right by God, because ultimately that's all that matters. Nobody has the answers, man. All of us are shooting in the dark. Nobody knows. That's the whole thing about religion is that it's so like question mark, question mark, question mark. It's so up in the air. We, we don't know. And like the best you can do is do what feels right and what like makes sense to you. So I love that. I don't have a follow-up question. I just wanted to say I love that. No, agreed. I think, um, also, like, nobody has the answers. These clerics don't. These, they don't know what, these scholars don't. Like, you, you really have to, and this has always been my thing whenever, like, my family asks me about religion. I'm like, I'm figuring it out. Or, or just, like, I don't, I don't need, I don't necessarily need the 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 book or the doctrine to understand my personal connection and yes there are things that that I read that resonate with me but for me it's it's so much bigger than just the scripture um it's really easy to get tied to it but it's not necessarily all of it for me also I love how Faiza and I are turning this into an interview <laughs> about ourselves. Just hold, we'll come back to you. But I, something you said really made me think about, um, you know, if we go into this, you remove spirituality from it, right? If the baseline premise is that you are created the way you are created and being gay or being straight is not a learned behavior, 
but it's a trait you are born with, then if you are believing in a higher power, if you believe in an almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God, it it just doesn't jive that the the thing, the entity that created you, created you in a like, manner that something? is repulsive to yeah. that. Like it just, it's. I agree. Makes no sense. I'm doing these gestures <laughs> that our fans can't see, but it just doesn't make any sense. Um, no, yeah, I'm, but I'm whole, like wholeheartedly agree with you. Were you out at the time you took this incredible yeah, so, trip? So since um, I've been out officially, um, I came out to my parents and they were the last people that like were on my list of like, okay, once this happens, I'm letting the LGBT flag, like the rainbow flag is going everywhere. I don't care anymore. Um, no, the biggest thing I wanted to make sure that like before I um, – came out fully that my parents were either on board or at least they knew I didn't want them to find out from other places and so I came out to them in 2013 um it was after excuse me um it was after I had um earned my degrees and so by that point you know I had a full-time job I wasn't dependent upon my parents um financially like it made sense um like I I knew that I could take care of myself um, and I knew I had a good enough support system in terms of my other siblings, in terms of other family members who knew, um, in terms of my friends, I had, I have slash had such great friends um, and like mentors and all that stuff. So like I knew no matter what they said, I was going to be who I am and I was going to be happy with it. Um, and I would like for them to be a part of that journey with me. And that's pretty much what I told them. Um, yeah, there were tears, obviously, but this was in 2013. So yeah, that that whole experience was a thing. But um, I will say by 2015, um, they definitely, they were much more on board. And um, yeah, it's just like, it was a whole other aspect of my life that I got to share with um, my dad before he passed. And I was, it just, you don't realize what you're missing until you start like having that aspect of the relationship fulfilled. And it, it truly, um, it meant the world to me. So That's amazing. Were your, were your siblings aware as well? And have they been supportive? Yeah. So they, um, so as I mentioned, like I came up to my one brother since I was like 12, like literally every other year slash every year um, until I was 20. Um, and so 20 was in 2010 to date it. No, 2011. I came out to him in 2011, like officially. Then I came out to my sister, like literally like a day after, or actually I think like an hour and a half after. I was like, are you on FaceTime? This is before FaceTime was like really a thing. I was like, can you get on FaceTime? She's like, I don't want to FaceTime you. Let's just talk on the phone. I was like, no, I need to see your face. And so we did the whole conversation and um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting um, conversation. She was very supportive. She was like, I'm going to love you no matter what. Um, and, you know, there were tears because she was just like, I can't believe you like lived with the secret for so long just very supportive. And then um, I came up to my other brother um, outside of Harris Casino. Oh my gosh. That was, That's I was 21 for sure. 
Yeah. And just like that whole experience. Yeah. It was just, there was a lot of love and support um, from my siblings. Um, and so I knew going into speaking with my parents that like, if they had questions that they didn't feel comfortable asking me, they'd have my siblings to like rely on for that. Something that really sticks out to me as being unique in your story and frankly, really heartwarming in your story and unexpected, at least on my end from your story, is you've mentioned several times now that you had this incredible support system throughout and that you always felt very supported and empowered. Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about what that journey was like for you, especially as a busy kid growing up in the south did you feel like you had to cultivate that network or are you just one lucky sob with like the most understanding family and friends um so the thing is like it sounds so weird but um i so i graduated um one of my degrees is in public relations so like um i i know that i think uh faiza you were telling me that like you are in public relations yourself um, so like, I think you definitely understand the, um, the importance of building and maintaining relationships in general. And that was something like, I think it just, it felt inherent in like my being that like, I wanted to make sure like from a young age that like, I wasn't just making like superfluous uh, relationships. Like these were deep, meaningful connections with people. And as a result, actually, like I ended up in high school, I had a lot of friends outside of my actual school. I didn't really have, I had probably maybe three or four friends at my actual high school um, because, you know, I went to an all boys Catholic school. Um, I was the only Indian kid there. There was one Muslim kid and his family um, and my family, like they were like, we grew up with each other's families. Um, but like literally I was the odd man out and, you know, being relatively effeminate, um, being um, like an intelligent person who was literally involved in every club, I didn't really have the ability to be in like the cool crowd or whatever the heck you wanted to call it. So it was through those, like those two or three relationships that I did have at school that um, I was really able to like thrive. And that was because I put in a lot, a ton of work in supporting them in order for them to also support me when I needed it. Um, And those relationships I've managed to keep for the most part, um, you know, ever since like eighth grade. And that similar, that sort of um, experience, like that's something, you know, I pride myself in. I'm, I'm very, good with my friends in terms of like being there to support them, being there to like make sure they feel appreciated and things of that nature. Um, Just because, you know, if I want them to be there for me like that, I had to do that for them. And if I feel like they're just not the type of person who's able to fulfill me in that manner, you know, then I understand that I kind of change like how the tactics of how I deal with that relationship. But there's so much you can do in terms of building up and kind of like seeing how people interact um, with others and seeing like the goodness in people. And um, yeah, I know I'm like rambling on a bit right now, but like there's something about just like you can 
you can ascertain whether or not someone has goodness in their heart and um, if they are going to have your best interests at the end of the day. And I like to keep people around me who have my best interests at heart. I think that's a lesson that we could all learn about <laughs> the kinds of people we surround ourselves with. But I think yeah. it's especially important when you're a marginalized community inside a minority marginalized community. Um, and you're sure. and you're pretty active on, on social media. I know you mentioned you're a mental health advocate. Um, being brown and gay is still, you know, kind of new to people being out and should say and brown. Um, Oh, for sure. Like whenever I go out and stuff, like literally you can, if I run into another Indian person, like who's out, I get excited because I'm like, oh my God, like there's another brown person here. I can show them the ropes. Like I'm going to be your friend. And like, it's funny because that wasn't necessarily how I felt when I first came out. I think um, we tend to tokenize ourselves uh, because we are tokenized by, um, for lack of a better word, white culture. Um, And so um, as a result, you know, we try to make sure that we like fit in and we play that role. Like if there's another Indian person around, like, oh no, we can be the only person or else then like that person's going to replace me or something like that. And like, there were a lot of insecurities, I think, um, at the beginning. Um, but I think especially moving to New York, I realized that a lot of that stuff was just stupidity and it was all in my head. Um, and yeah, but like, I think in terms of building community and stuff, it's, you have to be able to like, if you, I want to be the person that I wish I had had in my life when I was growing up, if that makes sense. I wish I had you in my life when I was growing up. (laughs) God, where were these lessons when I was like 10 or 20 or 30 or 36? (laughs) (laughs) That's why we're here now. No. (laughs) So Kitu, along those lines, I mean, clearly you have been wise beyond your years out the womb since you were born like (laughs) i do therapy so like therapy helps a ton and like i either you mentioned this um earlier like mental health advocacy like that's a huge deal to me i um i got my mph because i wanted to do mental health policy and like like a lot of this clarity that i have and the way i try to like push myself forward and in my interactions with other people it has a lot to do with the work that I've done on myself. You don't necessarily see a lot of people putting in the work into themselves, not necessarily because they don't want to, it's because I think they don't think they're capable of it a lot of times. Um, And so, you know, I just, I hope that if 2020 has done anything for people, it's helped them understand that like, hey, you know, yeah, we all have problems. We can all get a little better. And like, all we have to do is just, you know, find the right, person for ourselves and start working through some of those issues that may be holding us back from like living more fulfilling lives. So looking back with all this clarity that you have now, what would you tell five-year-old, 10-year-old, 15-year-old Gipu who was, you know, stumbling along this journey to get to where you are? Anything you wish you had done differently? No, I guess I was going to say, I don't have, I don't have, um, 
I can count my regrets on like one hand. Um, knock on wood at, at the end of the day, like if there's something that I want or if there's something that I um, will not do, I speak up about it. Um, I think that has a lot to do with my upbringing and like my parents and, um, you know, the confidence they instilled in me. I never felt like I had to do certain things. Um, and I was very forthcoming about like, if something wasn't working for me, hey, like, no, this is not okay. I don't wanna do this. Like, it's funny, um, I was talking with my, uh, with my family, we were doing a FaceTime for Christmas, this is a side note, and then I will get back to the question, I promise. Um, but like, we were talking about how uh, my mom ended up having to install an alarm system because my oldest brother used to sneak out the house. My mom had to put cameras um, outside the house because my older brother used to sneak out the house. And so I was like, yeah, and I didn't do anything wrong. She's like, but you would be out until like four or five in the morning. I'm like, but I would tell you. I said like, we'd had that conversation and y'all agreed that that was okay for me to do. She's like, you're right. And I said, that's the difference between me and my siblings. And like, I think with um, how a lot of people in our community tend to interact, I think if you're having that open dialogue with your parents, with your family, where, they, where they're able to trust you um, and where you're able to maintain that trust, I think a lot of good can come from it. Um, and in that sense, I think I was very blessed um, in terms of like how I was able to develop in my identity and my sexuality, because I didn't have those pressures of like, oh no, look, yakahenge or something like that, you know? So. Sorry, so Mehek, your question was? No, my, my question was just, you know, obviously when we look back at kid version of ourselves, you know, you want to tell that kid, don't worry, you know, these things that you're worried about or these things that you're scared about, it's all going to work out and it may not work out the way you thought it was going to work out, but it's still going to work out and you're going to be okay. So I was just wondering if you, looking back, would do anything differently if you feel like you you know forced unnecessary not pressure but unnecessary expectations on yourself um yeah i think um i probably would have come out earlier um yeah i because the one thing it sounds so weird and like i'm so proud i will say this like i have a couple of friends who are you know um they're like freshmen in college and they're out. And I'm like, dude, y'all are doing it right. Like y'all are gonna be able to live your best gay lives as college students. And like, I did it at like the end of my college years, but there were so many parties I would go to where I'm just like, what the hell am I doing here? Like, I'm acting like I'm interested in these girls who are in front of me, who like, you know, for all intents and purposes, they were very nice people. But like they're sitting there like hitting on me or like I have to like go through the motions of trying to hit on them for like what, you know, whereas like if I, I think there were a lot of lessons that I had um, learned when I first came out that would have been more um, appropriate for me to have learned um, in terms of development and stuff when I was younger. And um I'm like, I'm very proud and very happy of where I am now in terms of my development, but it would have been nicer to get there a little earlier, if that makes sense. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I think we all feel that way. <laughs> I wish I had done this thing a lot earlier than right? I did. Yeah. Well, how do you deal with how do you deal with the haters? And when you grow up Desi, there are so many in so many different forms. Um, and then you add on this layer of um, newness, you know, with being out and it being kind of like a thing that people don't really talk about. And if I may add to Faisa's question, how do your parents deal with the haters? You mentioned that they're prominent in the Sikh community. Um, what's their experience been like, irrespective of their support for you? What's, what's that journey been like for them? So twofold. Um, first off, I tend to take the um, advice of um, one of my favorite sages, Taylor Swift, and shake it off. No, um, so <laughs> when it comes to um, like the haters and stuff like that, like people, haters are going to hate. Like they have nothing else to do with their lives, but continue to shit on other people. And like, that's totally okay. That's like the life that they've chosen to live and I can't do anything about it. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, I think, the process of coming out, um, I know, okay, so I'm gonna, so I'm gonna um, pause on this part and I'm gonna go to my parents, just so I make sure I say that part. So with my parents, um, you know, my dad was a very proud person. Um, and so with that pridefulness, um, there's a level of like, I don't give a fuck that he like exudes. So I think I inherited that from him. Um, I'll, no, I'm certain that like all of us in our family have inherited that from him. And um, my mother also has her own version of it. Um, and so the thing is like, people do say shit to my mother. Like they do talk about me at the Gurdwara. Like, um, there was a phase where I was going and like, I, I was like very comfortable. I'm very comfortable with my body, by the way, but I was extremely comfortable with my body and I was posting photos of me and speedos on the beach and things like that. And, um, you know, doing the whole like Insta gay experience of life. And, um, I'm not an influencer in that like realm at all, just FYI. Um, but <laughs> I remember, um, like, my mom, she mentioned that one of her friends, and friends is in quotes, because you know how aunties can be at the Gurdwara or at the temple or wherever. Um, everywhere. Everywhere. Aunties are ruthless everywhere. <laughs> um, so one of them was like, oh, like, um, did you see what your son is posting? And she's like, like he posts a lot like what are you talking about because I also post a lot of articles and you know very like public health friendly things and the auntie was like oh no he's like he's on the beach and stuff and he's wearing a speedo and my mom's like okay like does he look good she's like I mean like he's wearing all this she's like okay cool like that's what am I gonna say he's a grown man like if he wants to wear that then like let him wear it mind you I also got like brought to the side by my mother and was like, listen, like, what the hell are you posting? Then you shut on the on the all this other stuff. 
but at the end of the day, like my mom knows I'm going to do what I'm going to do. She's, um, she's supportive of me, even if she doesn't necessarily approve. Um, and I think she, one of the things that I told both of them when I came out to them, I was like, listen, like, you know, I am friends with a number of your friends on Facebook and I don't mind removing them if you want me to, but just understand that like news of my sexuality will come to them at some point. Like when they come to my wedding, whenever that may be, they will know that I'm marrying a a guy. Like they will see two grooms. Surprise aunties. There, right? <laughs> so like they're gonna know and I was like I just want you to understand yes I understand that like what I'm doing what I'm saying is putting in a very precarious situation but also please know that I'm not doing this intentionally I understand the repercussions of my actions so that's why it's even more important that I have you on my side um and then I also said you know no matter what I'm gonna come out to you they're going to find out. They're going to talk shit. Ten minutes later, someone else's son or daughter is going to do some crazy shit, and then they're going to start talking about them, and I'm going to be old news. So, like, you can rest assured, somebody will do something and screw up, and then they will be the talk of the town. Don't worry. And my mom laughed when I said that while she was crying. Um, but, um, you know, and that's kind of how it's ended up. She's very proud of me. Um, she may not necessarily speak the best way in terms of like the language that she uses. Um, and she's working on that. Um, I will say whenever I call my mom out on how she talks, um, if she says something that's a little problematic, I'm like, mom, you can't say that, like that's not cool. And she immediately course corrects. Um, but she's very proud of me. She does speak highly of me to her friends. Um, and she um, she's actually been helpful to other community members um, in the Indian community, not just the Sikh community, um, who have um, LGBT relatives or like they're not, they don't understand how to like deal with it. My mom has been a great source um, of help for them and an inspiration for them. So. I was literally just thinking that you and your parents should start some sort of informal like coaching or mentoring, not, not at all to imply that where you are today didn't come without its obstacles and without its pain and tears shed and all of that. But it sounds like you're at this really beautiful place oh, yeah. in your journey, not only with your own um, self-realization, but also where your parents are. Um, Girl, my and mom drag shows with me. Like we were in Atlanta for a wedding and I was like, mom, I want to go like meet one of my friends um, who lives in Atlanta and I'm like, we're going to a drag show. Do you want to come with? Because my mom knew the girl I was going to go meet. And um, she's like, you know what? Fine, let's do it. My mom's sitting there putting dollar bills inside of the drag queen's like shirt and stuff. I'm like, yes, mom, like kill it. And she's Can like, I come to a drag show with you and your mom? Because right? that sounds amazing. She, she was like living her best life. It was hilarious. So. So Ketu, we kind of touched on this, but for you and throughout your entire journey and this whole experience, um, what do you think has been like the most challenging and most and slash most surprising lesson you've learned that you'd want to impart on, on our listeners and maybe some other folks who are struggling with their gender or sexuality? 
I think the thing is there are a lot of ways to connect with other people. Um, and like, I know there, there are a lot of, um, for example, there's um, several uh, Facebook um, groups that um, I'm a part of. And there's like a lot of people who will reach out on um, social media, like they'll DM me and stuff and we'll talk um, about like how they're doing, their struggles with their sexuality and stuff like that. I think um, for people who are struggling with their sexuality, it's important um, to seek out mentors and um, people that you can trust in the community. So I just, I wish, I hope that people understand that like, you know, there are other resources out there. There are other ways to connect with people. Um, there are so many like LGBT uh, groups, uh, nonprofits you, that you can like really, you can connect with their members and like go to like different groups. Like you can talk to other people. There are mixers. You can go to um, like bars and stuff if you are of age. Um, and like, you can actually like meet other people who are like-minded who will be able to like, you know, just be kind to you. I think it, as long as you're leading with friendship and you're leading with positivity and like healthy perspectives, I, I feel like there's a lot that can be done if that makes sense. Um, Mahek, what has been your lesson learned? So first, I just want to congratulate Gitu on probably the most uplifting and positive episode in the fundamentalist yes. history. Oh my God. Yes. We this didn't get not, morbid once. Not once. Not, and I'm not, I'm not going to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Um, this is not at all how I expected this episode to go. And I think I had like a very pessimistic view on what our culture, our South Asian cu culture across religions does to anybody who doesn't fit that cis hetero mold. So it's been my lesson learned is that not everybody is just a lost cause and that there are still pockets of beauty in our culture and in our religions. And that if you make peace with it, you're good. And if people fall in line behind you, great. If not, sucks to be them, sucks to have that negativity. But as long as, as long as you're good, you're good. So this really, this is not at all what I was expecting, but I, I, I love it. All right, Miss Faiza, what did you learn? I, I think something that Kithu, you said was that uh, there's this distinction. I think that's really important for kind of the older generation to understand and, and people who may still struggle with um, uh, accepting or under or be, being understanding of people who li lead different lifestyles is that supportive doesn't necessarily mean approval or that there there is a distinction between being supportive and and approving uh, you don't necessarily need to approve everything somebody does in order to be supportive and I think that's really important to understand because you're not going to win over everybody not everybody's going to be as woke as you want them to be not everybody's going to be as laissez-faire about how other people live their lives there's still going to be people who who believe a certain thing because of their faith or how they're raised but practicing kindness 
doesn't have to come at the expense of, of your values. Um, so you can be supportive, you can be encouraging, you can make sure that people feel comfortable and loved, and you don't necessarily have to approve every single thing that they do. My mom doesn't love that I wear shorts and skirts, but she's still supportive, you know? And it can, and, and it really can be as mundane and simple as that. You can really reduce it to just that. You can be supportive, you don't necessarily have to approve uh, because why would you want that energy or weight in in your life, you know? And I think that's something that people should should really think about reconciling if they're really struggling with understanding this. Kitu, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, I feel like you're really just the most mature person and you have this level of clarity that I'm now going to work towards. So thank you for, for imparting all of that. Um, do you want to plug your socials? Where can people find you? Because I feel like not to volunteer you up for this, but I feel like your perspective is one that can benefit really a lot of people who may be struggling. I think, and I, again, I'm, I'm not trying to discount the struggles on your journey, but I think you have this um, quiet confidence to you. And, and I think it, it could really benefit people. So where can people find you? to as that safe space and mentor like i'm just i'm loving this um i should come on here like all the time um it's it's up and jabby love my friend <laughs> i appreciate it um so i'm on the social media channels um my twitter is kind of a mess right now i apologize um but i do um i'm starting to um post things on there again um my Instagram is really where um, I do a lot of my work. Um, as far as I'm sure you saw, I do this um, this mental health um, oriented talk. I call it the issue with Kitupanu, and um, I usually release my videos there. Um, so it's a lot of like affirming type of content, similar to what we've kind of jumped into here. Um, the handles are all the same. It's Kitupanu, so K-I-T-T-U. P-A-N-N-U, all one word. Uh, for everybody tuning in, thanks for joining. New episodes drop every other Wednesday. You can check us out on Instagram at The Fundamentalist for the latest episodes, behind the scenes, and more. And listen, like, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Thanks for listening.